0: From a whisper to a roar, our voice has grown in strength and volume, echoes from our past guide our future as we explore the woman's voice. Well sometimes in my world I come up against some challenges and today is one of those challenges but I am determined. (laughs) that, I'm going to um, bring this very special human being to, to meet all of you and share some of their amazing insight. And, you know, one of the things that I believe in reconnecting to your voice and having a voice and expressing yourself is that you need to be Attached to your divine feminine. And, you know, the person I've got sitting in the room is probably squirming right now when I say that. But, you know, whether you're male or you're female, that feminine tone that you have within at some stage will challenge you and needs to come to the forefront. So, without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to a very special person, my life partner extraordinaire, Mr. Stuart Fleming. Hello. Welcome to The Woman's Voice.
1: Thank you very much. About time I got here, I think.
0: Well, I think that uh, that it's the first time I've actually had a man on the podcast. And you know what? I'm a little bit nervous for a, a whole range of reasons. But thank you for agreeing to come and have a chat to us. And I've invited you today because... I really do believe that you have a lot of value to add, not just as an executive coach, and we'll get to talk about that a little bit later, but from your life experiences in raising your son, Jack, my stepson, on your own since he was the age of one. And I know that you made a very conscious decision at a certain point in in that time in your life where you said, I'm going to make sure that my son gets everything that he can possibly need. And a lot of that meant that you had to take on the role of playing mum a lot of the time. So I think that there's going to be some amazing golden nuggets for everyone listening today. But let's start with one of the common questions that I talk with everyone about, and what was the driving force that has reconnected you to the voice that you're here with today? Uh,
1: The driving force. Um, I think really that uh, I've been on a journey uh, discovering my voice and working out uh, exactly how to express uh, the part of me that uh, that I really want to. And so the the journey with becoming a single parent and working through that, um, I think that was certainly a big part of it, uh, but there's been a lot of parts to my voice. Uh, you know, I sang an awful lot as a kid. Uh, you know, we would sing and sing and sing until, you know, we couldn't sing anymore um, every holidays and uh, we were in choirs, we'd sing at church Um so used my voice a lot, and and um, those that don't know me, um, hi to the two of you, the rest of you all do, uh, will know that I have a, a, a very large voice.
0: That's your physical voice, but mm. what about your internal voice? How big is that?
1: A lot softer now. It used to be it, I used to need to turn it up, Um But I don't need to do that so much anymore because I seem to have sorted that part out.
0: And what about when you were, you know, in those formative years with Jack, how much did you have to dial up that what would be perceived as the feminine tone within you?
1: Uh, Yeah, you you mentioned earlier um, I made a conscious effort to uh, pursue a certain path and... Uh, I had in my uh, formative days my own life, um, my grandmother was very uh, was one of the very safe places and she created that safe space for me. And it was a memory that I have you know held on to until Jack came along. And then I thought, well, that's something that I actually want to pass on to him. And so we actually I actually went through and I did pretty much exactly as I remembered what she did with me. So we would kneel at the end of the bed. We would say our prayers and, um, and we'd climb in a bed and I'd tuck him in, uh, give him a kiss on the head, and then I would leave the door open a bit and then I'd go to the kitchen and make noise. And I remember that thinking as a kid myself that I think she was just pottering around so that I knew that she was there. I, mean, I had that feeling and I'm not sure if that's true or not, uh, but it was comforting. Um, and so I, you know, I followed it to the ladder Uh, And we kept adding new prayers and we kept adding new stuff as he learnt them and, um, you know, I had some fun with it. Uh, His mum wouldn't agree. Um, But, yeah, it's, you know, I never had a problem with him going to bed. I never had a problem with him saying, you know, I don't want to go to bed. It was always the safe space. Um, And I think that's, you know, I I worked out that I didn't have that uh, in my own home growing up. Um, That wasn't a safe space. But, uh, yeah, so I, I made a conscious effort to channel uh, my inner grandma. I feel like a grandma now.
0: <laughs> that's a certainly, that's a heightened awareness. You know, you mentioned you would leave the room and then consciously go and make noise so that Jack knew that that you were there. Do you think Jack acknowledges that? He, he understood what you were doing?
1: No idea. Wouldn't have a clue, but he slept well. Mm. Um, I remember... Uh, he came out one one evening and said, Dad, can I go to bed? And um, the, the friends that I had over looked at me as if I'd done something horrific, like why would any child ask to go to bed? But for him it was always a safe space and, um, you know, I'm glad that I managed to give him that.
0: Mm. Do you feel your life experiences and choices have affected the tone of your voice?
1: I I guess it must have. Uh, I don't know that I consciously think about the tone of my voice uh, except when I'm like performing or I'm on stage. Uh, I when I'm coaching, I don't I don't particularly think about the tone of my voice. I think more about the space in between. Um, but surely it must have.
0: So you know, I see you as a. A unicorn. I really do and it was one of the things that really attracted me to you in the first instance because there is not very many men in the world that have the opportunity in some cases but would have the capacity to take their son on board full time. Uh you even, you know, went and lived in London and traveled the world every month. Uh, for five years when he was, I think he was seven, wasn't he? Six, yeah. Six or seven. And you didn't even bring another woman into the house. That was something that was very important to you, that there wasn't a, a, a flow through of different women in his upbringing. So how how was it that you took on the role or, or the act of acting as father and mother?
1: For me, I saw it as a an opportunity, a gift, you know. And it was something that I reinforced uh, every night. We were talking about the the nightly rituals. Um, I got the opportunity to say goodnight to him every single night. That was something that I would work for. I got that opportunity to tuck him in a bed and give him that safety. If he got injured, I was I had the opportunity to comfort him. So I never saw it as a a burden or a challenge. I always saw it as an opportunity to to give to him what I took from the short period I had with my grandmother and see what that would look like. You know, I I just wanted to give that as a gift, but it was also a gift. It's not completely self, uh, you know, a selfless act. I got that benefit of, you know, being able to say goodnight to him every night. And, uh, you know, when his, his mum left, you know, I made a decision that he would always be accepted. There will never be a time where I've already got something planned. No, I can't look after him. Every every time he wanted to be at, at, with me or at my place, he was always going to be allowed. So I built a bed for him, you know, again, trying to reinforce this is your place, you have a space. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, every step along the way, I was just reinforcing that story that you belong here, that there's only the two of us and that I will love you always without question. Um, we did have one thing where we were driving home from daycare and he, he, he started with the I don't love you. And I pulled the car over and I said, right, that's it, get out. He's like, what, 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 what? I think he was like, I don't know, maybe four or five. I was like, that, no, that's it, that's the line. Because if that's true, you can leave because I'm not doing this anymore. And I was, I, you know, you, you talk about being, uh, we were talking before about being, you know, father and mother. You know, for me, that's that line. You have to, for, for me, to be with him and sacrifice what I had to sacrifice to to be the single parent, to do that, um, there's the line you will not cross, ever, ever. Mm. That's it 100% like I don't love you okay well get out
0: So that I think that that's interesting you took that opportunity and that's something that i certainly see is a little bit lacking in in women sometimes is really setting that really strong boundary and i know that to you did sacrifice a lot you you went through Bankruptcy. You went through.
1: Not quite. I didn't. I I didn't actually go through bankruptcy. I should have.
0: You should have gone through bankruptcy. But you lost your business. Let's Uh, let's say that. I
1: certainly suffered. Yes.
0: Yes. You 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 gave up a lot to make sure that he he had you essentially. Mm. And so that boundary, that was a really strong decision to make. And it's something that I think that everyone can take away today, that if you don't set those boundaries for yourself, you're going to suffer even more.
1: For sure. Boundaries are something that, you know, uh, they're they're so fluid. And yet uh, for yourself, for every individual, there must be those boundaries that keep you safe. You know, my commitment to Jack even though he was only at that stage, you know, four or five. My commitment was because, you know, there is you and there is me and we will look after each other no matter what. That's it. So there can't be that I don't love you. That You can't go down that path at all, mm. not even a little bit.
0: Mm. Whereas I know that women would go, oh, he doesn't mean it.
1: Yeah, it's not a, not good enough, no. Yeah. Um, and the other, the only other thing that I would say that I did put in place was the fact that uh, the only thing that he ever got a smack for was lying. That's it. Mm. Um, and it was only a smack on the back of the hand. I didn't beat him or anything. Um, but if he lied, there was a smack on the back of the hand. Don't lie. Just don't lie. Yeah. Not to me. not lie to anyone else. But between the two of us, we must have total truth.
0: You spoke and you actually mentioned, I don't know if you've realised quite a lot already, about the practice of nightly rituals Hmm. and I think that there's a lot to be said for that in having that ritual practice every day so that you know who you are, what your purpose is, what you're proud of, what you value. Can you add more onto that in how you live your world?
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of, uh, as you say, there's a lot of value in. I mean, we're creatures of ritual uh, and habit. We we can we have to have habit to survive, and there's certainly parts of our brain that are actually dedicated to this this whole process. And giving yourself rituals that serve you, and so this rituals that I was was working with Jack served both of us because it allowed me to recognise. Uh, My sacrifice, and that I was happy to keep doing it every single night. I renewed that promise, I renewed that vow, if you like, as part of the ritual. He got that, but I also got it. Um, And now, uh, you know, moving through my own journey uh, to where I am now, uh, my rituals are far less. uh, You know, I've taken very large rituals and then reduced them down to very small rituals, which mean a lot. So if I said to you, for example, um, Nepal, at least when I track Nepal. So if I say Nepal to Lisa, in your mind, you are now thinking of all of the different things. It's just so much, right? There's lots of information now in your head. It could be from the trekking to the tent to the hotel to the roads to the <laughs> incredible roads to the roads. Let me just <laughs> tell you about the roads. Anyway, all of that came from one word. And so what I've done now is taken all of my rituals and reduced them down and reduced them down so that even though that they may be very small, they mean a lot. There's a lot stacked in behind there.
0: What's one thing that you could give our listeners in creating more of a ritual in the evening and we know that sleep deprivation is a is a fairly significant problem in society today and I think certainly since we've had COVID that um that that that's probably on the rise what's something that you recommend people do
1: uh this is something I've been talking about a lot in the last couple of weeks and and you'll know this yourself Lisa that uh when you say one thing, you'll tend to say it a lot. You'll get the same clients coming in asking, or different clients coming in asking the same things. There seem to be trends mm, in is. our in our uh, in our flow. Uh, and one of the trends for me at the moment has been this idea of being completely empty. So uh, and I, I will link it to to sleep. Uh, every idea that you carry around costs you energy. Uh, if you're carrying around the shopping list and you're carrying around what you need to do tomorrow and you're carrying around the fight you've just had with your stepson and you're also carrying around all of this stuff, every single one of those adds weight to your brain, which means when you try to focus on any one thing, you, 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 you can only give it the focus that is left over with all this other stuff that you're, you're carrying around. And so the process becomes to actually put stuff down. And so in terms of rituals for sleep, uh, I started with journaling. uh, And journaling for me uh, is very specific. You date the top of the page and you write every thought that you have. Your brain must slow to the speed of your pen. And it must be a pen. Don't type it. There's rules. Those are the two rules. Date the top of the page. Use a pen. Don't edit. Uh, It is not easy. As much as that sounds like just write whatever you think, that's not easy because you will find yourself drifting off and thinking things without writing it. The trick is to slow it down and write everything. Then as the first part of this ritual, you close the book, make sure it's a book that you physically can close and you say the words, I'm putting this down for now. You can pick it up later. Now, what we're doing is sending a message to the enteric nervous system about the fact that you have actually put this stuff down. Uh, And while it doesn't get language, it does get sentiment and it does get sounds and emotions and that sort of stuff. So physically putting it down. If you find that you still can't sleep, what I say is then you haven't written enough. But taking this even further, you know, I have a, a massively busy day. I have lots of things going on in my day. But for the most part, my brain is empty. I really do not carry a lot of stuff around in my brain. I am not constantly thinking of things and trying to remember stuff because it's all down somewhere.
0: Right. So how do you think I've got in my mind that women carry a lot of things in their brain, okay? There's many, many different moving parts going on in a woman's brain. Uh, First of all, there's two parts to the question, What's the difference between a woman's brain and a man's brain in in this regard?
1: Wow. Uh,
0: Why do women carry so much more in our brains? Because
1: they're smarter, I think. No, no, and realistically, because they can. Like, uh, women have a capacity to, to uh, remember and hold things more than men do, um, and that might sound like it's a a good thing. It's actually not because just because you're naturally good at something doesn't mean you're going to be amazing at it. And so men need to put stuff down and they learn the habits early, whereas women keep carrying lots of stuff around. It's like really smart people fail at university Mm. because they were smart enough and, you know, I was one of them. Uh, I was ducks of physics. I I absolutely breezed through high school and completely bombed out first year of uni. Turns out I'm high school smart, not uni smart. Mm. And I'd never learnt to study, and so it took me two years to get into that habit and understand that, you know, in order to push myself, I now had to attach stuff. So women naturally have an ability to remember lots of things, lots of stories and details, but that also slows them down because now they can do that. They they tend to push that to the limit, and now they're carrying so much stuff around that they can't really focus.
0: And... I know we've had this discussion and you've said this to me many times, don't get stuck in story. Mm -hmm. And I do see in both of our practices as a vocal coach and as an executive coach that it is always prevalent in, uh, in the women that I work with and that they're stuck in story. And I certainly see it when I'm working, the difference between working with a man and a woman, it's a lot easier to work with a man, I have to say. Um, and that's, you know, not being sexist or discriminatory at all. It's just that it's a lot harder work to get a woman to get out of their head and get out of the story and stop touching it. How do we stop this? How? What's some practices that we can put into place?
1: Uh, It's actually a piece of work I've been working on for a couple of years um, and this idea of uh, identity and uh, who who are you. And I've started doing this with a number of different uh, clients um, from high school students all the way through to uh, seniors and seeing the same results across the board. I think when you're stuck in story, it is because And again, I'm, you know, this is such a generalization, but I suspect that it's because the story gives you your identity and the story impacts your identity. Uh, A lot of the time when I'm coaching, you know, uh, one of the very first questions I ask in the, in my coaching framework is uh, if I feel that we're getting stuck in story, do I have permission to interrupt you? Uh, And anyone who's been coaching with me ever once, they'll have heard that the story is just a wrapper for something. But if you can work your, work out who you are without the stories, without any stories, um, you become bulletproof. You become invincible. There is nothing you cannot do. There's nothing you cannot try. You're afraid of nothing, uh, and it's an awesome place to be. And so this idea of being stuck in story uh, really comes from that idea that I think that you're attaching one part or value of yourself to that story and that's what you can't let go because if you let go who are you without that story
0: so is this victim mentality
1: it certainly plays into it yes Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and do you agree with me that this is more prevalent in women than it is in men
1: Uh, this is one of those tricky tricky questions so in general men are better at um, visualizations than women and doing spatial equations but I've met a woman who was incredible at it and blitzed all of the guys. So I think in general, yes, but there will be exceptions, of course.
0: Okay. What tone do you speak to yourself in? Harsh, encouraging, loving, nurturing.
1: Uh, It has changed a lot over the years. Uh, It used to be very harsh and negative. And now it is just accepting. It's actually just a really peaceful time.
0: Can we go down a path at the moment that is uh, an awkward path sure. conversation to talk about? <laughs> and we we know that domestic violence is a huge issue today in across Australia and the world, in fact um and we we know that a lot of the blame is pointed at men and certainly probably the statistically you know that they do hold most of the blame mm-hmm. what is a way that parents today whether it be male or female What is a way that we can start talking to our children and particularly our boys today to give them this nurturing that they need?
1: Uh, Okay, this is probably one of those things that you're going to be worried about uh, because I'm not sure that nurturing is what they need.
0: Okay. Well, that's that's why we're having the conversation. What What is it I think that's need- going to give them these boys, these young boys, the stability that, you know, and I'll just branch out for a minute and say, Jack, Stuart's son, our son is now 22 years of age. He's in fourth year uni at um, Queensland do. University and he's done a double major in uh, commerce and law. So, He's doing really well, he's on the right path, he's living by himself, working, et cetera, et cetera. So we can say that there's a there's a modicum of success in your parenting. What's a way that others can can that are desperate to help get their children on the right path and have that sense of self, that strong sense of self and value, what can we do?
1: You've hit it on the head. I mean, that's that's 100% that I, the way I see it now. Uh, it really does come to, back to that sense of self and that sense of identity, uh, getting the kids to start to ask the questions about who they are. Uh, and it's a process that I'm working through with, with so many of my clients at the moment. Who are you? what are the titles? What are the achievements? What are the successes? What are the failures? How much of those add to you? And what tends to happen, and I'm not sure how young you can go with this. Um, I think the youngest person I've worked with at the moment is about 17. So I'm not sure how young you can go with this particular way of working, Um, but I'm very interested in finding out. What happens as a result of this work is that this sense of self becomes much larger um, you know, yourself, Lisa, you've.
0: Uh, I love the way you say yourself, Lisa. I you say yourself, babe.
1: <laughs> Sexy, chicky, babe. Um, you've been a mother. You've been a cancer survivor. You've been uh, a wife. You've been a student. You've been a daughter. You've been a sister. You've been a granddaughter, great granddaughter. You've been all of these things. But if you take any one of those away, you're not different, right? These are just labels. Mm-hmm. The same goes with your successes. The same goes with your failures. If everything, and, and this is a piece of work, I'm not saying you can do this overnight. Uh, it took me a couple of years. I've got people doing it now uh, who hit walls and they have to slow down because it's very confronting. Uh, but they, if they push through, the results are really good. Um, the idea is to build up this huge body of evidence as to who you are. Because then, if something happens, and this is maybe a story that you may be wanting to tell yourself, the story in comparison now to all of the things that have gone before is insignificant. The only reason anything in front of you has significance is because you cannot, in your mind, hold all of the incredible things that you've done and survived, All your failures should add to your should add to the weight of who you are and all you've survived, um, and all you've succeeded in, and all you've completed and things that you aren't anymore. But this, or this, that thing there, that becomes this big body of self so that anything in front of you becomes almost insignificant. And if it's something you particularly can't handle, it'll go on the list and you'll be able to not only handle it next time but handle even bigger things. And I think if we can, with kids specifically, um, and, again, I'm not entirely sure how young you can go with this. We haven't tried it yet. But if you can get kids to understand who they are without labels, without titles, without any one thing defining them, you are, and, and you'll have heard this from Zig Ziglar and Randy Gage and all of these guys, uh, you're not your car, you're not your job, you're not your wife, you're, you're not a husband, you're not any of these things. So the question becomes, then who are you? And the answer is you are all of those things and none of them at the same time. And it's actually a really cool place to get to, but there's a fair bit of work in getting there.
0: I know that you've had SOS calls, you know, sometimes in the middle of the night with parents who have children who are suicidal. Mm -hmm. What's the first point of call that you go to? What's the first thing that you work on?
1: Um, the first thing I, I would say is we, we just make sure that everybody's safe as always, you know, um, again, if you've ever been coached by me, you know, this session is confidential unless you talk about harming yourself or others. That's always in there. Everyone has to be safe first. The second thing is then actually listening and seeing and being heard Uh the problem with with suicide is that it's the only way I can take control of what I what I can see in front of me is to harm myself. Mm. Um, and so uh, one of the really, and this isn't, I'm almost tempted not to say this, but it's been useful for me. Uh, one of the useful things that I was taught very early um, by a very smart lady was permission. You have permission to harm yourself but only in the, under these circumstances. So uh, what she said was, you know, uh, take a Coke bottle, a 1.5 or two-litre Coke bottle, empty out some of the, the air, um, you know, empty it, empty out some of the air, and then hit yourself over the forearms with it. If it doesn't hurt enough, empty more out and make some sharp, slightly sharp edges, then do it again. And you can do that as much as you like, but that's all you're allowed to do.
0: She was a... So-
1: she called herself a counsellor, but she was very good at it, let's just say that. Yeah. And that idea of permission has been very useful because one of the the, the reasons people uh, go into that is be- that, that mindset is because I need to control something and I can control this so I'm going to do it mm. and I'm going to let some, I need to feel something. Mm. I need to feel some pain, you know, I deserve this. That's fine, sure. This is how you're going to do it. Um, and it has been very beneficial um, in that that permission just acknowledges where you are.
0: Mm. I think it's interesting too, just uh, the little things that I'm taking away is in that moment when you get that phone call that someone's desperate and the child is suicidal or has attempted suicide, a lot of people would go straight to the... uh, sometimes blame or where are you or what do we do? We need to take away the weapon or whatever is going on, but you go straight to is everyone okay? And again, that comes back to what I see in you is that you are very connected with that that feminine energy inside of yourself and it's a very nurturing energy. And I know that people who know you, generally would say that that's one thing about you is that you're you're very caring and you take that to the next level let's move on and ask the next question which is 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 quite tied up in what we've just been talking about that many people today are suffering with the imposter syndrome and you know in some cases they use it as a way to stay stuck Have you suffered from this and uh, do you have a theory as to why so many people are suffering with this today?
1: Have I suffered with it? (sighs) Uh, I'd have to say yes, though I struggle to remember where. Um, The problem with ripping out the rearview mirror is that you actually can't look back. So I do. One of, the, one of my Achilles heels, as you know, is I don't remember dates of things or when things actually happened uh, longer than a week ago. I know that they've happened, but I'm not entirely sure when. I, the question, I think, about why so many people are suffering from it is because there is so much focus on identity and so little support for actually working it out. I'm, a, you know, I have this many likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this this many connections on Twitter, LinkedIn, and I'm not just going to point the finger at at, at social media. I'm talking about school. I am the president of this, the captain of that. You know, w- what do all these things do and what happens when you don't have them? And it muddies the waters on who you are.
0: So do you think we shouldn't have healthy competitive sports even? <laughs>
1: No, 100%, you should absolutely, but don't take your- Where's the
0: line between a healthy lot of competition and that person is better than that person and needs to be rewarded or you know because what I heard you just saying then is that that we're comparing ourselves too much. Where's that line?
1: Um as an example, we used to play well you'd have to call it rugby, but we called it basketball at the time. Uh, it was full contact basketball. <laughs> it was just brutal. While we were on the court, there was a the, this sense that this is to the death. I'm not being crazy about it. it was absolutely full-on to the death this is but the moment we stopped playing, we turned that part off our brains off and we were good friends again. didn't matter who was on the other side. And so I don't see that competitiveness and identity need to be linked like that. You can absolutely be competitive. But that shouldn't be your identity. Your identity can be part, that can be part of your identity if you so choose, if it serves you. But if it doesn't serve you, don't do it. And that's why I say I'm not sure how young you can go with this stuff, but for everybody who's listening is probably an adult, you've already sorted out your identity. You have everything at your disposal. To be completely bulletproof right now, all you've got to do is assemble it and put it together in a way that serves
0: you. So I'm now seeing you all on that tennis on that tennis court or basketball court. <laughs> it was and brutal. We've seen we've seen this time and time again where men are generally and and women, you know, sometimes with rugby and some of the other sports today have experienced this, but in in a majority of the community, women don't have this behaviour and we certainly don't have any to-the-death moments. You're missing out. It's awesome. Well, that was going to be my question. Are we actually doing ourselves a disservice by, by not having this ability to go... We're gonna play that on the court and then we're kind of gonna to come out, and we're gonna let all of that go and we're all gonna get on again. Because generally there's there's animosity and she said and carry-on and whining that goes goes with that. How do we break that pattern for women? Is it necessary to break that?
1: Look, I certainly think you're yeah, you're absolutely on the right target now. That's 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 gold right there. You know, talk about gold nuggets for me, that's a gold nugget right there. That The ability to turn your brain off and to say that was then, this is now, and that all things can change. Uh, I have a saying, the sun comes up again tomorrow. Every decision you make tomorrow can be different. You do not have to make the same decisions every single day. And it's so hard to get it into some people's heads that just because you made that decision yesterday doesn't mean you have to make the same decision today. Just because you acted a certain way yesterday doesn't mean you need to act that way again. If something was said, it was said. Does that mean that person can't change, can't take it back, didn't mean it? Um, I know you accuse me of, of seeing the positive in everybody. But the benefit of that is that I know that there is positive in everybody.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. There is positive energy. There's no evil there people
1: actually at all.
0: There is. Uh, you do have to have some sense of self-defence.
1: Oh, I'm not saying that I don't defend myself, but I do. But I don't see that there are any evil people. Everybody's just trying to get by and everybody tells themselves the story that they need to survive. Now, does that mean that their stories are not broken? No, no, no. Some stories are complete disasters. But they're doing what they can with the tools that they have You do the same and I do the same. And each day that we learn something new, we can make new decisions and have better tools. So if someone does something and harms me in some way, how can I help them to make that decision to do something slightly different? If I always take responsibility, if everything is my fault, um, that the sun comes up, it's my fault, then in my brain, what could I have done differently to change that? So I become the hero of the story rather than the victim. And you mentioned victimhood before.
0: You you touched on there again about defending yourself. And I've seen you do this. And you know, certainly for those of you who don't know us well enough, we ran a political campaign uh a couple of years ago. And that's a whole different podcast <laughs> with all of the stories that are in there. But there were one of my trepidations in going into that and being your wife and supporting you was my fear of being attacked. Uh, And because women will, and I'll speak for myself first, but I know that there's sisters out there that will uh, feel what I'm talking about. I will try and avoid conflict under any circumstances. And Although what I learned about myself in the campaign was I actually didn't have to defend myself to the nth degree and I was very capable of defending myself in the very minor moments that I needed to but what I wanted to tap into was that and I've seen you do this where you will be in a situation where you will be will be verbally confronted and you will rise to that confrontation in a very masculine energy and you will put that uh, to sleep or you'll have a healthy debate about it and then you'll shake hands, pat them on the shoulder and say, okay, mate, and then go and have a beer. Whereas a woman in that situation will probably have, you know, I've got a visual of a cat fight and will walk away and forevermore never speak to that person again. That's just our general patterns of behaviour and this doesn't serve us. I know this doesn't serve us and this is what we're talking about here today and particularly on the woman's voice on how do we build our confidence so that we can go in and have those complicated conversations and deal with the aftermath of that because we don't want to come across as a a B-I-T-C-H. We don't want to come across and be taken the wrong way and so we therefore Uh, get lost and apologise for being in the conversation. So what's your response to that?
1: Very cool questions. Uh, Okay, so don't want to be seen as a B-I-T-C-H. Who cares? If your identity is so strong, then it doesn't matter what people think. And that's part of that strength of being bulletproof.
0: Yeah, but there's people out there that that don't have that strength right now. What can they do?
1: They can start to work on it. You need that you 100% need that then would you say I'm a pushover no interesting because even though i say the good in people you wouldn't say i'm a pushover no because i'll stand up for yes when necessary
0: you stand up you defend yourself if necessary you you measure that beautifully
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you let it go
1: so because my identity is not tied up with any one thing uh Unless it's someone attacking someone else, I'm actually okay for them to attack me. If that's what they need to do to get to get it out right now, go for it. Yeah, I'm, but you're a
0: big man. Okay. I'm a little five foot five pipsqueak. And there's many women out there that, you know, okay, we're we're not physically mm-hmm. six foot two and, you know, a hundred and it's something not about kilos. That, but that's the feeling we get that we, at some level, are threatened. Yeah. Whether it actually, interestingly, whether it be physical or whether it be, sorry, with a man or, or a woman, that physical confrontation mm-hmm. um, comes into that. That, you know, is this a primitive response that we go, we are not physically able to defend ourselves if it goes to the scrappy?
1: So I've had the judo, one of the top judo guys in the world, throw me against a wall in complete rage. Um, he outmatched me in every respect. He was larger, stronger, taller, way better trained. And I stayed calm because I knew if he was taking it out on me, there was people that were he wasn't taking it out on. And I'd much rather it be me because I'm reasonably robust. I'll bounce back. Did rip my jacket and a few other bits and pieces. But... I'm quite okay, and, and it's interesting that you go to your size because you're taking identity from your size. It doesn't need to be that at all. You are more than your physical body. You are more than your size. You are more than all of that, and that's where I say this identity, this sense of identity comes. Once you have that, you have that line of, well, look, you can throw stuff against me as much as you like, but at some point if it gets physical, I'm leaving. <laughs>
0: Well, look. I know that I have that now, and I and I think probably, you know, in my forty eighth year running in a political campaign, solidified that for me and gave me <laughs> lots of moments to practice and Ticulous realize lots
1: of practice, it?
0: And realize that just because for confrontation doesn't mean that we have to go into fight and flight. And I think that that's a really interesting point to raise too: is that we do go into fight and flight and, as women, and. How do we get around that? How do we maintain that balance in the moment?
1: I think it's again. I'm going to keep coming back to it because a little, quite a lot of it is that sense of self. But while I, while I would, I would heartily recommend everybody go and actually start this particular process. There are spaces that you should not be in. You know, during the campaign, you were talking about that. Uh, there was a, uh, a forum. Someone walked to the front. Somebody else stood up and started hurling abuse and walked up as if they were about to confront and get in a fight. Now, for myself, that's a space. These are two grown men. I do not need to be in this room. Hmm. Um, worse is if I am there and witness anything because then I'm obliged to take part or do something. I just got up and walked out. I saw it was what I thought was going to be An altercation, and I literally physically got up, turned around, walked out, and never looked back.
0: Because you have that choice.
1: Do not even see it. Because if I see it, I have to do something about it. But if I walked out before it actually happened, then I'm okay. And I think that's that idea of listening and saying,
0: Well, that was cowardly. You ran out. You should have been there to help save that person.
1: I'm not their parent. Why would I need to save them? I'm not. I am in no official role. I'm not a police officer. I'm not in any way related to either of them. If it was you, (laughs) it would be a whole different ball game.
0: Yeah, let's see. That's I think one of the inner inner confrontations that we have as women. We're very torn because we would be. Oh gosh, you know, I don't. I want to defend that person from a very motherly, nurturing position. But also, if you walk out, then you're being seen as being uncaring and that, you know, people are going to judge you.
1: Is that how you would judge me?
0: No, and I'm not talking about myself.
1: No, but, uh, and also your listeners. Do you judge me as cowardly in that moment? Or do you see that I did a calculated thing? Every single person in that room had the same choice.
0: I see that as a very, uh, uh, strong thing. I know that I would have done the same thing. Like this is not a space for me. I mm. don't belong here. And I'd make that decision to up and out of there very quickly. Um, but that's based on my strengths that I've developed, you know, that muscle mm. over many years. And I can very quickly identify uh, whether I belong here or I don't belong here. And I think that's got something in it as well.
1: Yeah. I think that tying that together, that, that idea that there are spaces that you don't need to be in and the idea that just because you've made a decision previously doesn't mean you have to make the same decision every single time.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, If you see a a situation and you suddenly realise or it's come to you, whatever, that it's not a safe place to be, leave. Like it just, you know.
0: How do you identify because sometimes the perception that it's not a safe space versus reality is that you should stay and you should face your demons and you should stand up for yourself in, in certain situations. I know that you're now talking about that specific one event, mm. but there are other incidences where you you should stand up and you should be brave and speak up for yourself. How do you identify the differences there then?
1: Uh, if you're, again, if you're taking your identity from this particular argument, from whatever it is that you uh, need to stand up and defend yourself against, why should you defend yourself for anything? I, I, you know, uh, if someone is absolutely t- saying a falsehood, and, and sure, you know, but does that serve you? Does that serve the moment? And um, does it serve it right now? You could bring it up later. You could do it a different way. Hmm. You could say, I, I don't actually care about this. Hmm.
0: So is this, is this a case of choose your battles?
1: Very much so, yeah, Mm. yeah. And, uh, again, as your sense of identity grows, and I think this is the journey that we're all on, trying to discover ourselves, uh, as that sense of self grows, um, there are less battles you need to fight. Don't need Mm. to fight any battles. Don't need to prove myself to anyone at any time, ever. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) What's the one piece of advice you'd give to the listeners today to help them reconnect to their voice?
1: I think that idea of going back to starting to put together the body of evidence of who you are. Um, I'd suggest start with the easy ones, all the titles that you've ever associated yourself with, Uh, every success that you've ever had. The slightly harder one is all of your failures, but you survived them. You did what you could with what you had. Now you know better. You wouldn't do it the same. So there's no penalty. You can't. There's absolutely no reason to beat yourself up over anything. Everybody's just trying to do the best they can with the information they have. Now, even if you knew slightly better, maybe you weren't prepared for it. Maybe you didn't have enough resources. So there is no point in beating yourself up. What the What you can do with that, though, is you can form it into a piece of the armour that sets you apart from everybody else It's part of yourself, and that's where your strength comes from.
0: I think one of the beautiful things, again, going back to what we spoke about earlier in the conversation, is that when you left that room with Jack at night, you wanted him to feel safe, and certainly that's the word that I have whenever I work with my clients or I leave the stage is I want people to feel safe because if people feel safe with me, they're connected, you've made a deeper impact, and ultimately they're going to invest with you at some level. How do you want people to feel when you've left the room?
1: Uh, I want to say empowered, um, but I'm going to say peaceful the peace, the idea of peace is pretty much what everybody's looking for you're looking you know you want to make a million dollars so you can have some joy so you can find peace everything leads to that one thing and so if I can settle my entrepreneurs down my business owners my founders I can settle them down so they can sleep and find peace then the next day they can make better decisions they can put more stuff down and make better decisions they can discover more about themselves and make better choices. Mm. Um, You know, we talk about, I I talk about overwhelm, and the very first thing you should do in overwhelm, uh, if you sense it coming on, is to breathe. Mm -hmm. Just breathe. Mm. Then decide how big it is, and if it's too big, run screaming from the room. But everything after that becomes just a little process now. Um, So, yeah, I would say peace.
0: And what's next for you to reach your voice's fullest potential?
1: I am currently working on my MCC certification. So that's Master Certified Coach. And I think there's about 19 or 20 in the country and about maybe 200, 220 worldwide. It's a very tough qualification to get. It's about having open conversations uh, and very fast, impactful conversations. And I'm really enjoying the process. I find it very challenging um, because I've learned a particular way of Solving problems quickly, and in MCC, that's not what you're looking for. Um, so, I'm having to unlearn bits and pieces, but I think for me, that's an ongoing journey. Uh, you know, I, I talk about being bulletproof. Um, and then I start to see small cracks and I think, well, okay, well, what's that about and where did that come from and what can I build into the process next so that people don't see those in themselves so that when you get to being as close to bulletproof as you can get, that you can actually maintain it. So there's there's a journey in that for my voice moving forward.
0: Thank you. It's been uh, a fascinating conversation and i and i do hope that the listeners will. i know that many of you will be taking away a lot of golden nuggets and if nothing else certainly thought-provoking conversation so thank you for joining us today
1: it's been a pleasure
0: thanks for joining me today to strengthen your voice you want to be heard and you deserve to be heard we're here to make sure that the woman's voice is heard I'm Lisa Lachlan-Bell, and together we are The Woman's Voice. Thanks to
1: our official sponsor, The Voice Draw. For more information on your voice, go to thewomansvoice.com.au.